So as I mentioned, uh, we get this morning the privilege of closing out our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. I think it's been great. I think it's been wonderful. We've, we've watched Solomon kind of take this tour through human experience and continually discover that the types of things he might normally look to to provide meaning and value and significance to his life, they keep coming up empty. They keep not delivering. They keep uh, end up being what he calls meaningless and the chasing after the wind. And along the way, it's been a little depressing. It's a little bit, been a little troubling. Today, hopefully, things get just a little bit better. I was thinking about a time, and maybe Mother's Day was sponsoring this, I don't know. But I was thinking about what it was like when I was a high school student. And the one thing I wanted more than anything else was to be an adult. I wanted to be independent. I wanted to call my own shots. I wanted to owe no duty to anybody. I just wanted to be the one in charge. The buck stopped with me, and there was nothing else out there to which I owed any du duty or obligation whatsoever. That's what I felt like in high school. Kind of fast forward a couple of months into my college experience when I got to my first really difficult decision. When I, you know, I'm making decisions about what am I going to study, and that's going to affect the course of my life, and my job, and my career, and probably my whole life satisfaction for the next you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, whatever it may be, right? And it's a big decision, and I'm sweating it out, and I'm thinking, this is hard. And it's not like there's right answers and wrong answers. There's just tons of options, and I don't know what to do. So I, I did what any independent, achieving, responsible adult would do. I called my mom and asked for help. <laughs> I said, Mom, I got all these options, and I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what choice to make. And my mom, who nursed me through those high school years where I so desperately wanted to be independent, was over the phone, but I'm pretty sure she uh, smiled and chuckled and smirked just a little bit. She goes, wow, that must be really difficult. <laughs> I said, you can't just pass it off like that. Mom, this is important stuff. What if I make a mistake? What if I do something wrong? What if I make the wrong decision? Mom, I'm, I'm operating without a net here. She goes, I know, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I that was the moment for me when I realized, OK, duty and obligation and having other people that you answer to, they can be kind of inconvenient. But there is a flip side. There's a super strong upside to that. And that's one of the things that Solomon is going to find out as we come to this final chapter in the book of Ecclesiastes and as we, uh, as we kind of watch with him as he sums things up. And he's going to begin his sum up of his whole book in this chapter with an encouragement for us uh, to remember our creator. In fact, so this is uh, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, hey, that we should remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of your trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Once again, cheerful old Solomon wants us to know, it doesn't matter how good, young, strong you feel right now, a day is coming when you're going to feel old. And then you're going to die. <laughs> in fact, if you have been with us throughout this series, I believe that you could represent Solomon's thinking and uh, his understanding of how things work by completing these quotes with me. He would say, hey, pleasure feels great, and then you die. <laughs> Wealth 
is awesome. It's helpful. It makes things comfortable. But then what? You die. You die. Hey, it's great to accomplish things and to, and to uh, have landmarks that indicate you've made a difference while you're here on earth. That's pretty great. But you know what happens at the end of that? You die. You all have been paying great attention. Thank you for that. It's, it's sunk in. We love that. So that's where Solomon's been at. But not content just to let us know that eventually we're going to die. Um, he, he finds it incumbent upon himself to kind of describe not just the end point, but the process. And in the next six or so verses, he paints a picture not just of death, but at the process of aging which leads towards death. And he's saying in advance of this, it's, that's what's going to come. Remember, you want to remember your creator now because this is what awaits you. And he does this clever little thing. It's very poetic. He kind of does an extended metaphor. And he's talking about like things in a house that are breaking down and getting old. But he's really talking about the human body. Okay, see if you can relate to any of this. We're going to remember our creator, but here's what's coming. So do that. Remember your creator before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. Things are going to get a little gloomy. And he says, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men begin to stoop. Anyone, anyone have that wonderful experience at whatever level of there are parts of your body that used to be strong and now they tend to sag. That's what he's talking about. He says, when the grinders cease because they are few. He's not talking about like the mill stone down by the river. He's talking about your teeth. As you age, the grinding is going to cease. Why? Because your teeth are going to fall out of your head. <laughs> he says, those looking through the windows grow dim. That, that view out into the world through our eyes, our sense of vision, which starts to slow down and requires us to look at things at further <laughs> and further distances and get all new kinds of lenses. When the doors to the streets are closed, when, when there are things we want to say, but simply because nothing has happened but age, we can't find the words again. <laughs> When the, I love this. And when the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. You know, the noises that are typically out there, the, the sounds of life that exist in this wonderful world, as we age, they fade away, right? We don't hear them as clearly. We find ourselves leaning a little more intently towards whoever happens to be talking, and that's only if we notice that they're talking at all. That's what's going to happen, right? And, by the way, I love that bit about, oh yeah, we can hear the bird when it chirps at 2 a.m. in the morning. That one we hear, and it wakes us up so that we're up all night. Come daytime, come the time we want to hear all the wonderful sounds, maybe not so much. Maybe we don't hear them so well. At this time, when people are afraid of heights and dangers in the streets, that sense of fear and insecurity that tends to come upon us uh, as we age. When the almond tree blossoms. Have you ever seen an almond tree in blossom? It's this regular looking tree, but when it's in blossom, there are these, it, uh, it explodes with these white furry petals that take over the whole thing. The crown of the almond tree 
grows white with age. <laughs> For those of you that can bloom, congratulations. <laughs> For those of us who can't, well, we're just learning to live with it. And we just keep shaving that scalp a little closer every time along the way. But that's going to happen, he says. And the grasshopper drags itself along. I don't even pretend to know what that one means, but it doesn't sound good. <laughs> and desire no longer is stirred. Now, we've talked about Solomon and his exploits and his hundreds of marriages. He may know, have known something about this. But like, okay, so we've seen the commercials that are out there all the time, right? For Viagra and Cialis and all the others. One of those features of old age and winding down is the loss of desire. And, and so as if all of that is not painful enough, Solomon wants to make sure we don't miss it. In case you didn't quite understand where I was going with this, let me put it real clearly. And then people go to their eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. We are going to die. So remember him. So remember your creator. Before the silver cord, I believe it is severed, and the golden bowl is broken. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, and the it's like you want to say, Solomon, we get it, we get it, okay? Enough imagery, we understand. We get what you're going. And the wheel is broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. That's the end game, right? So... There is aging, and that's real. That process is inevitable, and Solomon describes it in abundant detail. But he doesn't lose sight of the fact that beyond that, on the other side of this, is that the, the body goes into the ground, but the spirit returns to the Lord from whence it came. That's, re that's really helpful. That's really good. And, and what Solomon is saying is this. Remember God in your youth. Before all of that stuff happens, make sure that you anchor yourself in the midst of a relationship with God that is solid. Because it's going to be difficult to find him in the middle of all that turmoil, in the middle of all that change. I will tell you that he's talking about the turmoils and the change of aging, but that principle holds regardless. Seek the creator. Remember him. Know God when things are going well, right? Because when they become difficult, either through the aging process or the circumstances or life or unfor unforeseen turns or financial downturns or whatever it may be, seek God when things are going well. Because when it gets, times get difficult, it's much harder to establish that relationship because of all the turmoil that's going on. The, the time to remember our Creator is not the time of crisis. The time to remember our creator is early and often. So that when the crisis comes, whatever the crisis may be, we're prepared. And we have God with us. And we can fix our eyes not just on the crisis and the turmoil in front of us, but on the fact that ultimately our spirit will return to the God who created us that way. Because if we lose sight of that, if we lose sight of that truth, then we're left with the, only, the same conclusion that Solomon comes to. He says, I have looked everywhere under the sun. Within creation, I have looked around, I've, I've looked at every human experience, and when all is said and done, well, he closes out this particular section with, uh, with his conclusion about what the world looks like when you're, not, uh, when you're looking under the sun. He says, it's meaningless. He says, it's all meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. 
everything is meaningless. If we're just stuck looking at this life and what we're able to accomplish in, in this creation, it's meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. It will never, ever satisfy. And so Solomon is hurtling towards his main point and his conclusion, but uh, it's almost like he felt like he needed a blurb for the book, you know, little excerpts on the back of the book and stuff like that. This, this, he talks about um, his own writings and the attention that he has, he has paid to the details that are going on into his writing. And this is what he says in verses 9 and 10. He says, not only was the teacher wise, speaking of himself, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and he searched out and he set in order many proverbs. And the teacher searched to find just the right words. And what he wrote was upright and true. Just as a side note, um, should something happen to me, that's what I want on my tombstone. <laughs> what he wrote, what he said, what he lived was upright and true. That was, that was Solomon's description of, of how important this wisdom was. And as he struggled to put just the right words to all of, to all of this, that's what he came with. And then he has this next description of, of those words and how they function in the lives of those who follow, who follow them. He says, the words of the wise, and he's talking about his own writings, right? But, you know, we're 3,000 years after the fact, more or less. We can include not just the words of Solomon, but the words of all of the Bible as well. It says, the words of the wise are like goads. Their collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Nothing else is needed. And then my favorite verse from junior high school, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. <laughs> Solomon says that the way that his words of wisdom are supposed to function, and we understand by extension that the way that the Bible in general and all its collected sayings function, is that they function like goads and firmly planted nails. I didn't know what a goad was. And it's just kind of an awkward word to say. But here's what I found out when I looked it up. A goad is really a fancy word for what a shepherd would use as just a sharp stick. One of the things a shepherd would need to do was to get his flock of sheep moving from here to there. Sheep are stupid and stubborn. It's one of the reasons that, uh, that God describes us as the sheep of his pasture because we can be stupid and we can be stubborn. And sometimes they're very content where they are and they don't even understand that they need to move. And so what a shepherd would do is he'd take a, a big stick and he would file one end down, kind of like sharpening a pencil, until the end was very pointy. And when it came time to move the stupid, stubborn sheep, he would just walk up and jab it. Maybe in the flank, maybe in the hip, or maybe very frequently tuck it right up under a rib where there's a lot of sensitive tissue and just give it a good jab. And it was amazing how quickly a stupid, stubborn sheep would move when poked in the ribs with a sharp stick. And it would get them going. Because one of the things that the, that the uh, wise teacher's words are meant to do is to get us moving when it's time to move. To do the things God's calling us to do. To take action in the directions that he's calling us to go. And sometimes we're a little slow to do that. And we need the words of scripture to jab us in the ribs and move us along. But they also function like firmly fastened nails. Like when we want to run after that thing that we shouldn't be running after, boom, the words of wisdom hold us in place, right? 
when we want to chase after that pursuit that's just about selfishness, when we're willing to bend some corners of our morality in order to get a deal done, when we want to just step outside maybe the vows of our marriage because there's temptation outside, the words of wisdom, the words of Scripture, the words of God himself are the things that hold us in place and don't allow us to keep us fixed, like firmly planted nails. How does Scripture work in our lives? Sometimes it tells us to go when it's time to go. And sometimes it tells us, stay put, when it's time to stay put. Maybe you're facing decisions like that in your life now. Maybe you got some do I go moment, or, or do I stay right where I am, right? Are you deciding, uh, do I need to take some steps forward or remain with the course? H how does scripture do We bury ourselves in scripture. We immerse ourselves in scripture. And on the pages of scripture, while the Holy Spirit illuminates certain passage and passages and speaks to our heart while we're reading, we find that... God is prompting us to move when it's time to move. And then it's just a matter of will I say yes and do it, right? Or we hear scripture saying, slow down, cowboy. Well, that's what he says to me, which is weird because I'm not a cowboy in any sense of the word. But that's what he says. <laughs> he says, slow down. Now is not the time. Plant your feet. Stay fixed. That's how the, that's how the words of scripture operate. Do you want to know when to move and when to stay? You need to be in the words of scripture. You need to be hearing those words of wisdom because that's how they function. In fact, Solomon was wise enough to understand it and he said, look, and nothing else is needed. You don't have to step outside of that to figure all of that out. So with, with those pieces in play that, that the words of wisdom move us like, like a sharp stick or nails that keep us planted, he moves on uh, to come to the conclusion of the matter. And he says, now, here it is, five weeks of a series, 11 chapters and a half are down. He says, now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Fear God, keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. If you look around this life for meaning, value, and significance anywhere else, Solomon says, it's meaningless. It is a chasing after the wind. But if you will fear God, and if you will keep his commandments, you will have met your duty before God. And your life will take on a meaning and a purpose and a value beyond anything that you could construct on your own. Now, we're independent people, and we don't like to be told that we have a duty or an obligation to anyone. And if we refuse to acknowledge that that duty or that obligation exists, we're like that immature high school who says, I, schooler who says, I just want to be in charge, who has absolutely no clue of what it's like to actually be in charge and be operating without a net. Solomon says what it's like is to be lost in a, in a meaningless chasing of the wind. But Solomon says, beyond the sun, I've looked under the sun, but beyond the sun to the one who created the sun, the God who spoke all of this into existence. He says, if you'll acknowledge your duty to him, and if you'll fear him, and if you'll keep his commandments, that changes everything. Because now, you're not just living for yourself on your own terms under this sun. You're living out a life that spans eternity with all of that significance. You know who's a great model of that? living a life beyond just their individual selves, it's moms. 
you know, have a few kids separated a couple years each as a mom, and that means that for the next quarter century, you won't do anything for yourself because your time will be given to serving. You, you will find your sense of, of uh, purpose in being there, in investing in others, and saying, this is why I'm here. And, and when we talk about all the effort that it takes and all the energy that it takes and, and all the sacrifices that it makes, that list can be overwhelmingly long. But the significance of what they're doing the power of transforming and, and leaving a legacy of generations of people who know what love and care and security are about. That long legacy that just extends beyond the individual person, that's what keeps moms going. That, that's what keeps them going day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year, because they understand their significance is not just tied into this moment. Their, their significance extends into eternity because of the difference that they're making through all of the effort. They, they, more than any of us, live a life that is not about themselves and locked into their own circumstances, but it's a life lived for others. And I think we see in mothers a foreshadowing of what we see of life in general, that if we can take that lesson and say, there is a God out there who extends into eternity, who spoke this creation into existence, and that God um, is one that we can know. And that if we will yield our independence, our foolish, immature independence to the point where we say, not only is he out there, but I will fear his commandments, or I will fear him and I will obey his commandments. If we will take that step and live a life beyond just our own independent experience and live for something greater, everything changes. Everything changes. And our lives become incredibly important, significant, and yes, meaningful in the here and in the now. And here's the good news. That that God who's out there beyond the sun, the great cosmic one that we should, yes, fear in reverence, but also keep his commands, what do we know about him? The Apostle Paul would say we know a little bit about him from creation. Like we should just be able to look around at the creation that he's made and say, wow, it's beautiful. It's fantastic. It's complex. It's wonderful. It's rugged. It's harsh. It's a little bit terrifying, right? We can learn a lot about God from what he's created, but we know something more as well, that that God who's out there beyond the sun has actually come down and lived his life on this planet as one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. I don't think it's any accident that when Solomon described the way that the words of wisdom move uh, people along into action, that he used the description of a sharp stick and a couple of nails. Because when Christ came as the expressions of God's love and his care and his purpose, he hung, a, he hung on a cross where a sharp stick, a spear, was jabbed into his side and blood and water flowed out. And he was held firmly in place by nails that had been pounded into the wood. And in that moment of being stuck with a spear and held firmly in place with nails, we found out what that God beyond the sun is like. And he's a God who demonstrates his love and his intimate care by giving, by sacrificing to the point of his own death so that our lives can have that significance. And a guy like Solomon was wise enough to know, right? If I'm just looking around here, I'm going to be dissatisfied. But from Solomon we learn that if we can look to the God beyond the sun 
and to the Christ who hangs on the cross, overcoming evil, sin, and death by the act of sacrifice and death and then resurrection. If we can look to that, everything is different, right? Everything takes on new power. And the truth is that we could say with Solomon, yep, we're going to live our life and then we're going to die. Beyond that, our spirit is going to return to the God who made us. And if we've lived our years on this earth in his service, fearing him and obeying his commandments, we're going to look back on the time that we spent here and say, that mattered a great deal. We can live every moment today as if it matters a great deal. And we don't have to be locked in and mired in the, in the depression that the book of Ecclesiastes can produce. Why? Because we know there's more going on here than just what we see under the sun. There's a God who created it all and loved it so much that he joined in as a part of it. Demonstrated his power, love, and care by dying on the cross. And all he asks is, would you like to participate in the glory? And he invites us to come and do that. And I don't know about you, but that excites me. That's something I want to say yes to, and I think it's something that's absolutely worth celebrating. I'm going to ask the band to come on up, and uh, it's been kind of a slow down, darker sort of a series with regard to uh, with regard to feeling a little depressed at all the meaninglessness that Solomon points to. But this morning, I would like for us to end this service with a sense of celebration, a sense that we're not alone, a sense that the God who created is also the God who came and died and invites us to join him in glory. That, I think, is absolutely worth celebrating. And if you do too, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to close this service uh, with this song. Well, we thank you so much for finding North Church Sermons Online and we hope that the message today brought value and enrichment to your life. If you'd like to participate in the giving of this ministry, there's a couple of easy ways for you to do that. You can text the word NORTH to 77977 and receive a text back and get your online giving set up in under 60 seconds. Or else you can visit us online at northchurch.net and click on Give Online and participating in the things that God's doing right here at North Church. We thank you so much for joining us. God bless.